If you have been a listener of the VET podcast for a while, you may recall an episode we recorded back in, I think it was early 2021, with Dr. Melissa Trupier discussing end-of-life decisions and treatment. We are taking the inevitable next step today in discussing euthanasia. It is a topic that perhaps isn't discussed as often as it should, but let's face it, almost all pet owners have to go through this process at least once in their pet owning life. I have a broad-reaching discussion with Dr. Kathleen Cooney, Director of Education of the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy, based in the USA, which may be a bit confronting in places to some people, but forewarned is forearmed. We talk about things like what makes a good euthanasia, as an owner, how to prepare for your pet's euthanasia, pre-euthanasia sedation, should you be present for the final act, the actual mechanics of the euthanasia, what are your options with your deceased pet's body, and what about grief support for you and your family. Whether you are a pet owner or a veterinary professional, you should probably have a listen to this. You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr. Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're joined today by veterinarian Dr. Kathleen Cooney, founder and director of education of the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy. Kathleen, I guess the function of the Academy is in the name, but can you give us a quick overview of the organization? Absolutely. And thanks for having me. I also want to put in a quick plug for that episode with Dr. Melissa back that you had a couple of years ago. Really, really good one. So to be praised, everyone should listen to that. I really enjoyed it. So the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy is built to provide outstanding education for the caregiver for the veterinary team so that they can improve the euthanasia experience in particular for the pet, you know, for the animal who is sharing its last day with us. And we want to make sure that that experience is very beautiful, very safe, uh, very meaningful, and that our families get to say goodbye in a manner they want to say goodbye in. And so we founded this organization about five years ago, 2017, And we teach veterinarians and veterinary technicians, veterinary students from all over the world on these best practices because we wanted to take what most veterinarians learn in vet school and vet college to the next level. You know, not enough is taught yet in veterinary schools. And there's even some research out there that shows that maybe anywhere from three to five hours is all veterinary students get taught about euthanasia. So while very important, we knew that we could do more. Let's have a look at you first, shall we? Obviously a veterinarian. You're in, I guess, a fairly specialized branch of veterinary medicine. How? Why? Yeah, good question. So first of all, all veterinarians who are licensed to practice medicine can perform euthanasia. And then depending on where in the world we're at, veterinary technicians may be able to do it as well. And in the shelter setting, there's a role called euthanasia technicians, wherein they might be helping with euthanasia for shelter animals. Me in particular, I went through veterinary school thinking that I'd be a horse vet. Uh, then I fell in love with dermatology and, and the skin conditions and then you know cancer care. I was all over the board, just a, a true life learner. 
And when I ended up getting into private practice, I was gravitating towards those families having to say that such a personal, intimate goodbye to their pets. And before I knew it, my team was scheduling me all the euthanasias at our, at our hospital. And I could help families all day long. It really, really spoke to me. And what a, what a blessing too, that so many other veterinarians feel that way and don't shy away from euthanasia appointments, that they actually step into that role with open arms and open hearts to help families at such a difficult time. I'm going to go right to the end game here, Kathleen, and then we'll move back. What is a good euthanasia? Mm, the million dollar question right there. A good death is one that is pain-free for the animal. It hopefully has the least amount of anxiety around it so that we can say goodbye in a very controlled and calm manner. And that whoever is witnessing this death, this passing, feels safe and supported and heard and understood with the least amount of side effects or complications so that anyone who is watching the passing of this pet or of this animal knows that it was smooth, knows that it was easy. And that's really important. So to define a good death, we're looking at an animal who is ready to pass with loved ones gathered around, with a technically strong delivery of the technique itself, and that there's zero or, or minimal, I should say, regrets, right? That this was the right decision at the right time. That probably encompasses a good death. Okay, so that's where we're trying to get to. How do we get there? What steps need to be taken? And I'm looking at this in the view of the pet owner, but can I just say for the clinicians, this is putting yourself on the other side of the fence and the other people's shoes. So take out of this what you like. I think this is well worth listening to if you are a clinician, but what needs to be done for the pet owner who has made or needs counselling to make the decision that their animal needs to be euthanised? Yeah, because there are three main parties, you know, contributing to this procedure, right? It's going to be the patient itself, it's going to be the pet owner, and it's going to be the veterinary team. First and foremost, the veterinary team needs to make sure that they have as much skill and training in euthanasia as possible. And then they need to have good communication skills so that they can help with the decision making around euthanasia. When is the right time? Do we want to maybe reach for hospice and palliative care first? You know, or is it clear that today has to be the day for euthanasia? Or may we be, you know, three months out, just depending? So helping pet owners come to the right decision at the right time is really important. And it's it's not easy, right? It's it's a real soft skill. And that's why communication training is so important to give these veterinary professionals the skills that they need to have these important conversations. They have to have natural empathy, natural compassion, good social skills, and have a good sense of self-awareness about how they how they approach these conversations and about the appointment itself. So, you know, as far as where euthanasia is taking place, veterinary teams are working to get the comfort room ready. They're getting the staff ready for the appointment and this emotional time that's coming up. And that's what they need to do behind the scenes. And then for the pet owners, 
they have an opportunity to be their own best advocate and what they're looking for in this appointment, right? What is best for their pet? What is best for them, their family, or anyone else involved in this decision and the appointment itself? So they can think about who's going to be present for euthanasia. Where is it going to be, right? In fact, this day and age, we've got the option to be in the hospital and we've got the option to be at home. Uh, might be at a favorite park, just depending on the situation. So, you know, when and who and where and then how, how do we want things to play out? Do we want this to be a bit of a ceremony where we can have readings and where we can have music, where other pets can be welcomed, uh, children, you know, anyone who wants to be there. And these are things that can be talked about within the family unit, then shared with the veterinary team as well, so that you know, again, the appointment as is, you know, rolls out, moves forward in the best way possible. And of course, the one who really benefits from all of this is the pet, right? And their final moments and their final day, they have loved ones gathered around, it's comfortable, it's peaceful, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. So how about the owners that don't wish to be present at the euthanasia? People can feel quite guilty because they weren't supporting their pet, but they really don't want to be there. Should they be present? Oh, good question again. It's so personal. It really is. And after all of my years doing this work, I've helped well over 10,000 families and pets at this stage. I would say that 80% or more of families decide to be present. In fact, a recent survey that we did with pet owners showed that the vast majority want to be present. But those who choose not to be, there's a variety of reasons behind it. And any veterinary professional should remain open to those reasons to hear what they are and reserve judgment. And the reasons that I hear is that a family has had a bad experience in the past and doesn't want to go through that again, or they want to remember their pet in that living form right, where they were breathing and still looking around the room. That's that's important for them to have as their final memories. And there's also instances where, for whatever reason, owners have not allowed to or not allowed to be present, where, you know, depending on the techniques that's chosen or the comfort of the veterinary professionals have said, you know, maybe not to be here for this time. So to your point, it all comes down to education and communication of let's talk through what's going to happen. And with those families, in my experience, that have had a bad experience before, wherein the pet's passing just wasn't as smooth as what they wanted, there were complications, and they're worried about that happening again, we talk through that. Why did maybe that occur last time? And what's going to be different this time? And if possible, with certainly what is evolving within euthanasia and veterinary medicine, is to provide pre-euthanasia sedation so that the pet is sleeping before they pass. I remember one family many years ago saying to me that the reason that they didn't want to be present for euthanasia is because they remember their dog looking them in the eyes almost with a pleading look of why, 
you know, why would you do this to me? And boy, that absolutely has haunted them for years. So when we talked about the benefit of sedation first and allowing their, their pet this time to be very comfortable and sleep and unaware of what was taking place, they were relieved, right? Now, this seems like a win-win a, a where they can be present and then, you know, not have that such a stark change from life to death. And for families who are interested in staying present for the sleeping part of it, they can still then step away when their pet, you know, when their pet is sleeping and they don't have to be present for the actual death itself. So that meets their needs to, you know, be there to calm their pet and, and to be there in support, but not actually see the passing, right? And, and one of the concerns that we have with euthanasia if owners are not present is what does their pet think? You know, what is their pet feeling? Are they worried? So by giving a, a sedative and allowing the pet to fall asleep with the owner still present, then the owner can leave at that point if they want with the memories of their pet sleeping and comfortable, but yet not have to actually see the passing. But I'll just share this as well, that of those families that have said they didn't want to be present, but decided to be present for that sedation time to remain there with their pet, most of them have chosen to stay all the way through the euthanasia because they can see the peace and comfort their pet now feels in the sleep state. What's your thoughts after the euthanasia has taken place on the owner taking their pet home with them so they can spend a little bit of time with them and the family before they bring it back or go to the crematorium or if you're doing a house call euthanasia leaving the animal there for a wee while before they'll pop it down for the next step my thoughts are to ask the family what's important to them and if spending time with their deceased pet helps them to move forward in their grief journey then that's the right answer is to be able to be with the body for whatever length of time they want. And in my experience, that can be upwards of three days. That's fairly common in the Buddhist religion to allow time for the spirit or soul to exit before anything is done with the body. So I've seen families that just want to be with the pet for 10 minutes to an hour to your point of holding overnight, waiting the next day. But the right answer is to give them the choice and not to force them to say goodbye too quickly. So the options are to drive the pet to the crematory or the pet cemetery facility themselves and to make that connection with the aftercare company, which I think is wonderful. And more and more pet owners are choosing to do this because otherwise they really don't get a chance to build the relationship with the pet crematory staff, of which often are wonderful good people who have gotten into this profession to do just that, to support these owners in such a dark time. The other choice is if a, if a pet has passed in the hospital, to just give more time and space there, you know, an hour to two hours to be with the body, maybe in a private room somewhere, or 
the, the pet may go off to the crematory and there can be a viewing or a visitation the next day, right? Where it doesn't all have to be at the same day of euthanasia. It's important to give time to process this new reality, right? To transcend into this new normal. And, and I, one of the things that I've always shared with my families and with colleagues out there is how during euthanasia, we are literally closing a chapter in this book, right? Might be the book itself uh, or just, you know, a chapter in the story wherein we have to get, we have to have time and space to accept it and to just be in that moment and to breathe it in. So to cut down on the rushing and got to do this, got to do that is really important. And let's just be open to what the family needs. Just one final thing while we're talking about the pre-planning, something that I was always fairly keen to do is to get all of the mechanics out of the way before the actual process starts. There's, in, in most countries, there need to be euthanasia consent forms, um, payment details set up and all of those sort of things. So there is nothing worse than having the family after the fact huddling around the reception desk organizing payment with you know all of the emotion and the tears and the children wailing if people can get that done prior to the to the event actually taking place and then the process is done and they can just leave with dignity out of out of the clinic actually another thing that's just occurred to me too which always tried to do was to make sure that the euthanasias were, if they were being done in the clinic, weren't done in the middle of a busy consult period. And this is something that you as an owner can actually ask, do you mind if you see me last thing in the day? Or, you know, a lot of clinics will actually have time put put aside for euthanasias because there is nothing worse than somebody sitting in the waiting room with an animal which is going to be euthanized and the person next to them turns around gives the dog a rub under the cheek and said what a lovely what a lovely dog you know what are you here for and it's hard for both sides you know well i'm here to have him put down the owner's feeling awful about it and then the the guy sitting next to him who was just being friendly is feeling equally as bad so you know just get it out of the mainstream time I, I would imagine absolutely well you're singing my song with regards to getting some of those details and logistics done ahead of time in that pre-planning phase so asking a family again where do you want to be where you know who would you like to be there what time would you like to come in is it a time that fits in the schedule of the day for the hospital, for the staff, so that they can really give full attention. And it's it's often at the end of the day, uh, to your point, where things are starting to calm down. It might even be right after the lunch period. Just It just depends. It, is all, it all depends on the hospital culture. But if we can get payment done over the phone so that we're not handing over cash and credit cards and checkbooks and those things during the appointment, that's a step in the right direction. And so more and more veterinary hospitals are, are getting all of these details worked out before the family and the pet even walks through the door so that no money has to exchange hands. And really all the staff is doing during the appointment ahead of time is confirming details, making sure that between the time the appointment was set 
and when the family arrives that nothing has changed. But if it has changed, such as maybe a family was thinking about uh, you know, having having what's called here in the United States a communal or group cremation so that the ashes will be spread. And maybe now the family has decided they want to keep the ashes. That's something that can be arranged right there at the veterinary hospital and, and do that without too much difficulty. And then the veterinary teams can provide grief resources and those things after the consent form has been signed. And now we're moving forward into the medical procedure itself. One of my favorite tips for those veterinary professionals who are listening is to find someone on the team or multiple people on the team that can be leveraged as a euthanasia attendant, someone who helps the family from beginning to end. And it may be the person who actually scheduled the appointment on the phone or it may not. But from the moment the family arrives at the hospital, they've been looking for them can then bring them directly into the comfort room, exam room, just depending on what it is. And now they help them to settle into the space, offer water, offer Kleenex, bowl of water for the, for the pet or whatever the case may be, and talk through those details. And then to really be a shepherd, to be a guide all the way through the appointment, it just makes things so much smoother. And, you know, we were kind of talking about before of, what kind of pre-planning the veterinary team needs to do before euthanasia. To your point, there's really a lot. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to get ready for this family, which, you know, basically they're coming in for a funeral. You know, it's, it's a funeral-like event. So, so many things have to go right in pre-planning does make all the difference. And getting those, those logistics and details done ahead of time is, is, makes for a smoother setting. What I want to do here is just take another wee step, and this is probably a wee warning if you are slightly squeamish. Maybe now might be a good time to go and make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, but can you just very generically talk us through the euthanasia process? Absolutely. And when we were talking about how to define a good death, a lot of the elements I'll share are included in that. So the euthanasia appointment, modern approach right now is to provide the pet first with a pre-euthanasia sedative. And that's typically given underneath the skin in some way. So just underneath the skin or into the muscle to relax the pet into a very deep sleep. And that will occur within a few minutes time. And we did a survey recently with some 2,000 pet owners asking how long is it or what is a comfortable time frame for a pet to be given a sedative until they're in deep sleep? And the answer was anywhere from three to 10 minutes. And that's very normal for the type of medicines that we're using. So we encourage veterinary professionals to give their, their pet patients a sedative first underneath the skin or into the muscle to help the pet relax then into a deep sleep. This is gonna remain the same if it's a dog or a cat or a rabbit, birds and other exotics and companion livestock too. Horses in particular do really well much of the time with sedation. Once the pet is sleeping and very comfortable and usually this is a deep sleep, then what typically happens is a second injection, which would be with the euthanasia solution or medicine itself. 
the veterinarian gets to decide how that medicine is given, of whether or not it's going to be into the vein or into another location in the body, such as into an organ. Now, as long as the pet is in very, very deep sleep, giving euthanasia solution into an organ is very peaceful. And it's done that way because the drug itself needs to get into the bloodstream. So it's either gonna go into the vein or into an organ. Organs have a lot of blood, have a lot of vasculature, vessels, veins, those things that we're familiar with. And what the body does then with the drug is it pulls it up to the brain. Euthanasia with the typical euthanasia solutions that we use in traditional veterinary medicine is known as a barbiturate. It's an overdose of an anesthetic drug, which is what a barbiturate is. And those work on the brain. So it renders the pet first unconscious and leads to brain death. And then the breathing stops and then the heart. So when we talk about what occurs during euthanasia, that's what we're trying to achieve is an overdose of an anesthetic drug that stops all life centers. And that's what helps them to pass. So the narration itself of the euthanasia procedure typically is pre-euthanasia sedation with the pet then working into deep sleep within up to 10 minutes time, followed by an injection of the euthanasia solution. And the only time that that is different, or at least what often has been traditionally done, and Dr. Gregory, you'll be familiar with this, is that what is traditional, I guess, is there is an IV catheter, an indwelling intravenous catheter placed in the leg of the animal, and then a sedative is given to help relax them into deep sleep, and then the euthanasia solution is given through that IV catheter. So in today's world, that can still be the approach, or it can be where the pet is given sedation before any technical aspect is done. Then when they're sleeping, then the technical aspect of euthanasia is carried out. Now, the actual death process itself is something which can take people aback a little bit. Most of us have seen death scenes on television or in the movies where you know there's a, a little exhale of breath and fluttering of the eyes and then peace. That's not quite how it works in the real world. How do you explain the, the process of death to people? When describing death itself, it's helpful for veterinary teams to let families know, first of all, what sedation looks like, such as the animal's going to get very sleepy, they're going to want to lay down, they may take some deep breaths and deep sighs, uh, the pet may move their legs a little like they're dreaming. That's all very normal behavior while they sleep. And then for euthanasia itself, we can expect the body to go through changes as it releases energy. So when the heart is stopped, we can see the body take what are called agonal breaths. And it's a horrible word because we, it sounds like agony, but we can also 
kind of re rephrase it to be agonal, which is basically no breathing, but it's a reflexive breath. And the way I describe it to my families is it's the body's way of releasing energy. It's extremely normal. And animals who die naturally on their own take those deep reflexive breaths. So it's normal in euthanasia and it's normal in natural death. And that's probably the most important takeaway. But the body can also do some body stretches. It can have some muscle twitches and little movements. Again, very normal and natural and the body's way of releasing energy. So as long as those present know what to expect and to not fear what they see, then it makes for a smoother experience. So here's a wee ethical conundrum, Kathleen. We have got the ability to use euthanasia, but what's the situation if we have an owner for whatever reason opts not to use euthanasia, but to let the animal pass naturally? Is this okay? It can be. So hospice-supported natural death needs to be a part of that description. So if someone just says, I want to take them home and allow them to die naturally, then they need to understand what natural death looks like, that there could be pain, that there could be seizures, that there could be difficulty breathing and vocalization, and that it's not likely going to be as quick as what they want it to be. So therefore, we require hospice support during that time. In other words, it's palliative medicine. We're not curing anything, but we're just trying to maintain comfort. We're trying to reduce away what death feels like and just make it smooth. So that would include pain management, sedatives, maybe oxygen support. And there tends to be a fair amount of education that pet owners need to prevent their pet from suffering, right? Because that's really what we're worried about is that the the pet is going to be in a lot of uh, discomfort and struggle in those final moments. So as long as the veterinary team can step up and the pet owners are willing to partner in and provide that type of, of detailed and involved care, natural death can occur and can occur beautifully. But it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, this is really a dedicated path that everybody needs to understand the complexities of it and, and work in collaboration to prevent to prevent suffering. So can we just move to after the fact now? The euthanasia has been performed. What are the owner's options with the body of their beloved pet? Good. So deceased pet body care has been evolving considerably in the last, oh, probably 10 years in particular. The standard in our modern times is cremation, flame cremation in particular, where a family can choose to have their pet's ashes returned to them or to have them spread somewhere on the crematory grounds or a designated location. So that's that's the most common choice. The second choice is aquamation or water-based cremation, which uses water and salts to gently reduce the body down to bone. Then that bone is dried and processed into ash. 
And again, the family can decide if they want to keep the ash or have it spread. Another option is pet cemetery burial or home burial. And home burial is important to get those rules and regulations right of what's allowed and what isn't allowed, especially since so many animals are euthanized with barbiturates. And those are considered dangerous to wildlife and to the soil and groundwater. So it's important that if a home burial is going to be carried out, that it's done safely. And a, and a typical a typical recommendation that we have here in the United States, which may be uh, similar to other parts of the world, is to make sure to lay a pet deep enough to cover them with at least three feet of earth. So typically going down about four feet, being caref careful of buried power lines and water lines and tree roots, making sure that they're allowed to bury there and, and so on. So again, flame cremation, water-based cremation or aquamation, and then cemetery or home burial. And then just kind of coming forward right now is the option of composting and freeze drying. And it's they're not as popular. And again, depending on where we are in the world listening, it may have never even been heard of before, but those are growing in consideration. And the veterinary team can help to make all of these arrangements with, with pet owners, or pet owners can take it upon themselves to contact the local pet crematories or facilities in their areas to learn what's available, all the options, and to make arrangements directly themselves. Just to finish off here, there is no doubt that euthanasia of a beloved pet can cause a huge emotional toll on the owners and the families. What about emotional support for the family? Where do people go for that? So grief support for grieving pet owners can be found uh, I'm glad to say many resources all over the internet, but there are online chat groups. There are many articles that are written. There are many books that are available, many, many books to help with adult grief, with child grief, complicated mourning, uh, just countless, countless wonderful resources that are out there. And the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy just so you know, does have many blogs that are written on our CADAinternational.com site to help veterinary professionals to support pet owners. But we also have a lot of blogs that will help the pet owners to prepare for euthanasia emotionally and with the details that are important to them. And then those blogs have a lot of information about the bereavement side of it. And we are getting to the point in our, in our academy where we're going to have as much information forward-facing to pet owners who are faced with this type of loss as we do the veterinary profession. So uh, keep us as a resource, but again, there are a lot of good opportunities out there. And I'll end with, with this particular question by saying that a survey that we did a couple of years ago looking at what pet owners want with regards to aftercare and grief support show that many of them will seek out friends and family to talk to, to you know, so hopefully they understand what they're going through and, and, 
and are hopefully receptive to listening, right? That aren't going to hold judgment or anything like that and say those crazy things like it's just a dog or it's just a cat, which we know that's not the case. So hopefully our listeners have good people in their, in their sphere and, and their, and their friends and their family that can listen and be very supportive. But there are pet loss support groups out there online, in person, there's one-on-one counseling and it's continuing to grow as the human animal bond grows. There are, there are growing opportunities for grief support. And I think Kathleen, this is probably a good place to just wrap up this conversation. Look, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about what is often a very difficult topic and to do it with so much compassion. Thank you. You're welcome. If you require more information on this, what is at times quite confronting topic, whether you are a veterinary professional or a pet owner, have a look at some of the resources that Kathleen and her organisation have got in the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy. That is at CETA.com, C-A-E-T-A dot com. And that's it for another episode of the Vet Podcast. All of our links are in one place at beacons.ai slash vetpodcast. That is B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash vetpodcast. And while you're there, don't forget to buy us a coffee. On behalf of me, Brian Greger, and everybody else involved in the making of this podcast, thanks for listening and we'll catch you again soon.